Welcome to the Small Hours Podcast. My name's Al Guevara. To my left, to your right, my brother Joe. Hey, how you doing? Thank you very much for joining us for episode 11 of the Small Hours Podcast. Now, the reason I'm doing that is because I was listening to old episodes of the Small Hours. That's exactly how it started off. <laughs> you can always kick it up. A lot of yelling and a lot of... Uh, at that time, however, since it was on radio, mm-hmm. um, it was uh, we had music we could play, so it, it was a lot more exciting. Yeah. And I was listening. <laughs> it, it had a really cool intro, man. It was really nice and made me nostalgic for, you know, not having to pay for licensing. <laughs> that, was, that was something to, you know... Yeah, it was, it's, yeah. It's Friday the 13th, Joe. Today. Like, not today, because Friday today's the, the 11th. You know, um, 11-11, which also has its own significance. Sure. And episode 11, which I think is even more significant of a Small Hours podcast with Al Guevara. But now you're listening to it, or it's made available for the first time on Friday the 13th. The um, first Friday the 13th in 666 years that didn't fall on a Thursday. It's kind of weird. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a <laughs> fact that I just made up. So, <laughs> the, I love that Halloween. What was it? The, um, it was something like that. It was like the first Halloween in 666 years that doesn't fall on a Friday the 13th or something like something that. Something like that. Something dumb. Anyway, but uh, I still hold... Like, wow. Yeah, I know. Somebody bought it. Stoned. <laughs> I, uh, I still um, am a supporter of the movement to make Halloween the last Saturday of October. Well, yeah, I mean, it, there's no real significance to the day, I guess. Right. Other than if it's Saturday, it's great because exactly. you can have the evening, you have the next parties, day off, you yeah. can have parties. Whereas if it's Monday or Wednesday, kids got school the next day. Exactly. And then it gets dark super early, so yeah. you have to get out of work and get going. Yep. Now, the thing about this last uh, Halloween a couple weeks ago was since it was a Saturday, the first Halloween on Saturday in 666 years. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I was surprised that there wasn't more people trick-or-treating or more kids trick-or-treating, but that was just because of a little drizzle. Mm. It drizzled a little, and all of a sudden people were like, oh, no, never mind. Ooh, yeah. yeah, you know, it's like you're not a real witch. <laughs> you're not going to melt. Don't worry about it. Uh, I was listening to uh, older episodes of the uh, Small Hours podcast, like I mentioned, and I think – I don't remember I mentioned it last – Last time, uh, last time you were here, episode ten. Hmm. But I listened to the first episode of us returning to the airwaves after being off for about a year and a half, and that was on September the fourth of two thousand three. And the first hour crapped out because the computer crapped out. Wow! So I only have the second hour, and we started off really bitter because <laughs> we realized we that it was were off. really bitter. We we're like, mm. as a matter of fact, here's a little bit of it. So, uh, yeah, here we go. Well, let's start recording again from uh, from where we are now. Okay. So, <laughs> needless to say, our uh, joyful uh, exuberance of Mario. the first hour. It was Mario. I think so. As soon as Mario showed up is when everything started going wrong. So See, happens when we get that many people into the studio? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it was his first time here. I mean, in this. well, yeah, his first time here to the small hours. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's no record of it. Mario, come back. That's what Sammy. he gets. Yeah. Sammy and the Sammy STs, too. come back. Man, Sammy uh. too. I couldn't believe it. So, anyway, And uh, uh, my brother Joe brought in a, uh, a CD, which is probably what did it. <laughs> the CD that you brought I was hurriedly doing it right before I went to the comedy jam. Uh-huh. I went home to take a shower, and I said, ah, drops. Mm-hmm. And, so, and then a little song I put on there. Just a little throwback to my younger days. The younger days. Let's see if it decides to load up anytime soon. Or it decides to crap out again. <laughs> As you can tell, we were very bitter. 
<laughs> so anyway, uh, but then the the following show, which by the way, oddly enough, let me let me backtrack here. The start of the Small Hours podcast was almost exactly twelve years after that first show of Volume Two. I called it at the time of the Small Hours. So the podcast launched on September sixth, twenty fifteen. So. Had the Friday fallen on September 4th, it would have been perfect synchronicity. Wow. Yeah, it was weird. Wow. I was like, wow. Because looking back at episode one, I kind of did it just really quick. I was like, you know, I'm just going to do it. And which is why it really, really sucked. <laughs> but I did it. And because I wanted to get it over with and just get just doing it, you know, get that first. Step, and, he, yeah. and here we are. Episode 11. Episode 11. Yeah. I, it's really episode two because the first nine were kind of just me solo. <laughs> practice. practice, practice. But now that you're here. Now All it's right. a smaller podcast. Right. And uh, anyway, so the second episode after uh, uh, on the ones I was listening to, and there's only three that I have recorded uh, recorded digitally. You were in Las Vegas. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was the, uh, you can take a step there. That was the night of the Oscar de la Hoya uh, Sugar Shane Mosley fight, I believe. I think it was Mosley. I think so. And you said he was robbed. Yeah. At the time. You were, you even gave us a, uh, <laughs> it's hilarious, dude. <laughs> As a matter of fact, this is what you said. Set the scene for you. I'm standing here outside uh, the fabulous Harris uh, Casino, uh, directly underneath the Mirage uh, Siegfried and Roy Marquis. To the uh, right of me is that beautiful volcano from the Mirage, spewing uh, flame and simulated lava into the air. And to the right of me is Caesar's Palace. And we've got, uh, I'm sitting here looking at uh, thousands upon thousands of uh, beautiful and not so beautiful people walking the streets. <laughs> and let me, let me tell you, this is, this is uh, also a uh, Harley Lover's wet dream out here. Really? Uh, there's Harley's galore cruising the strip, as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. And uh, just traffic and people, just everybody having a good time. It, it, it's awesome. There, there goes some Harley. Listen. Yep. Oh yeah. Vaguely heard him. Oh, uh, it's like it's like watching that uh, uh, Orange County uh, choppers man going by. Oh, awesome. having a blast. Ex- there, I heard that one. There you go. All right. Uh, rub it up for me. So there you go. Excellent. Uh, having, a, having a blast. Having a blast. So you gave us a, a, a description of everything around <laughs> you. And they even made a Harley guy rev his engine for us. But uh, the the best part about it was, and I didn't get into it, and I, this is this will turn an entirely different show, so I won't do all the all the stuff we did on that on that episode. But you were trying to stop people <laughs> to go on the air with you, like excuse me, excuse me, I'm on a uh, live on the radio. Would you like to? No, okay. And, <laughs> and then you go up to okay, no, that one was too old. Let's go to this guy. Uh, yes, sir. Hey, uh, I'm live on the radio. No, okay. So <laughs> <laughs> it was total brush off. It was, was total like, brush off. Uh, we're like, oh man! So and finally, and you got you got somebody on the air. Yeah, it was a British guy. Mm-hmm. He came on. He's like, yeah, you know, uh, I, I forget exactly what he said. Yeah, Gary or somebody. I think it was Gary. Yeah. Um, and he was all game to be. Uh, please, no cursing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so. exactly. Uh, bloody right. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, but you got Gary from London, and uh, I told him, hey, give me give give my brother your autograph, your autograph, your address, and uh, and I'll send you something. He's like, and be sure to send me your autograph. And everybody back on the show was like, he must have thought you were somebody important. <laughs> he has no idea. He was talking to nobody. But I don't think hey, we ever he was got talking to Al. Yeah, I don't think we ever got his. You know, his address. He probably or didn't anything. give it to me. Yeah. What's? Oh man, that's why I don't trust the British. I don't. Know, I have nothing to base that on. The Dutch. 
So, and people intolerant of other people's cultures. Anyway, so it was fun listening to those episodes, and I and I went through my closet, and I have cassettes and cassettes and cassettes, just show after show. I have dozens and dozens of shows that I haven't translated to digital. You have to digitize all that stuff before it's gone. But now I have all. Now I have a weekly show, so yeah. it's different, you know. Plus, I don't think I have anything that I can record off of. I need a cassette player with an audio out. To I, I do. I have one set up here. As a matter of fact, if you can you see it start here. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's a cassette here. Right here, see, this is what the cassette sounds like, and uh, I was trying it out, and uh, I might do it. I, I we'll see. I was trying to find the Iceland show, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how I'm gonna find that unless I wrote it a little on sharpie there. note on yeah. there, and uh, I, I didn't do it to all of them, so you know. All right, episode 11 of the Small Hours Podcast with Al Gavada. We're going to kick it off with some uh, news, movie news, as we usually do this time from deadline.com. As many predicted, Spectre did not come in at the uh. Uh, $73 million that Sony initially reported. Rather, it was lower at $70 million. So I was way off. Uh, remember I said maybe yeah. 100 but probably 90 mm-hmm. Just a bit outside. $70.4 million the uh, reported actual total for the weekend. While at opening weekend figures, still the second highest for a 007 title behind Skyfall. Mm-hmm. You can't help but notice that Spectre's debut is $20.4 million less than its predecessor, which made $90 million, and it's two points, barely $2.7 million higher than Quantum of Solace. Really, nobody was expecting it to be that low, myself included. Reviews and slow, are, are slowing turnstiles for Spectre, plus moviegoers can blatantly see the film isn't leaving them as floored as Skyfall, which is a great movie. I blame it on the, the song. By Sam Smith. <laughs> it's a crappy song. Oh, man, this this movie sucks. You don't even get a chance. It's just the beginning. Um, by the way, Alex, uh, who was uh, my guest host for the uh, Star Wars trailer special edition of Small Hours Podcast, told me, you know, the exciting opening sequence uh, to Spectre doesn't do anything to make the song better. <laughs> it's like, how, however good it is, it doesn't doesn't help. Uh, 20th Century Fox's The Peanut Movie is taking the number two spot for the weekend with an opening that's a million dollars shy of what they first reported. $44 million. That makes me happy. Yeah, I think that that had an impact on Spectre, I think, because the parents that were going to go see that probably took their kids to see Peanuts, and they that did really well. Can you imagine 007 being taken out by Peanuts <laughs> by Snoopy? Snoopy yep, took the out the Red head. Baron. Again, Peanuts was never really a threat, like, mm-hmm. I think, uh, as far as the studios are concerned, because it appealed to a different demo of moms and kids, but you know dads are taking them out there. 007 isn't just specifically for dads or teens right. or anything. It's supposed to be a pretty broad audience that likes action movies, and I think that includes some moms because, you know, they like the, the eye candy, just like the dads do. Conversely... There's not just moms taking kids to go see Peanuts. You know, it's a family affair. Like, if I'm, I'm going to go see Peanuts, it's going to be my, me, my wife, and the kids. Yeah. Not just, hey, you go to – I want to see it. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to see Peanuts. It looks really, really cool. The thinking was that nostalgic adults would be swayed to go to Peanuts. However, Spectre did beat them in that regard, winning 30 per, 35% of adults over 50. Charlie Brown's had 10. 78% of the over 25 audience – and Peanuts had 54% of that audience. So there's some, I think, duplication uh, in there. There is a silver lining for Sony, MGM, and Eon when it comes to Spectre, however. Of those film financier sources who uh, this site had spoken with, they believe the film will continue to rally abroad, as Bond always does, driving the, are you ready for this? $350 million production. Wow. That's how much wow. uh, Spectre costs, including um, promotion and advertising. 
They're uh, looking for it to hit $900 million, possibly an, an even $1 billion global take, was, which is possible. Various reports in the media have cited that Sony profited $57 million off of the record franchise Skyfall, and that was a $1.1 billion worldwide haul. Only $57 million. Only. That seems really low to me. Really? For well, one of these studios. Yeah. Well, what it is is that... Um, what I think is that MGM gets 75% of the profits, uh, which is what's going on with Spectre. Sony collects 25% after recouping production and ad spending costs. Both MGM and Sony split the production and P&A costs 50-50. MGM controls 007 rights and, uh, home, uh, and home entertainment, the latter which is distributed to an exclusive deal with 20th Century Fox Home Entertainment. Despite Spectre falling 37% from Saturday to Sunday with uh, $16.68 million dollars, a decline that's not as bad as Quantum of Solace, but more than Skyfall. They had a decline a little more than 37%. Sony's looking for a boost midweek for the Veterans Day holiday. So hopefully this week they're going to see an uptick. In addition, unlike previous Daniel Craig Bonds, which faced competition largely from a Twilight film, believe it or not, in their second frame, Spectre can rely on the projection that will it will hold number one next weekend, hopefully posting a second weekend decline that's better than Skyfall's 54% and Quantum's 60%. I honestly think it will be that big, if not bigger. If if you're seeing bad reviews on the first weekend, how can it not drop more than 50% on the second weekend? The only thing it might help is that there's uh, only two wide entries. The uh, disaster pick, the 33, uh-huh. which instead of having Spanish speakers, they decided to go with, with people that talk like this, uh-huh. including Antonio Anderas. <laughs> and uh, the CBS film's holiday comedy, <laughs> Love the Coopers. Okay. I just don't. I don't. <laughs> I'll, I'll go into Love the Coopers in just a bit. Uh, from boxofficemojo.com, the big tell will not necessarily be Inspector's second weekend, but more in its third and fourth. Expected to drop somewhere around the 50 to 55% next weekend, but after that, it finds itself in direct competition with the second part of the Hunger Games Mockingjay. While Quantum of Solace had to contend with Twilight, like we mentioned, the Hunger Games franchise has a far more genetically diverse audience. And being the final installment in the franchise, it's likely to put a huge dent in Spectre's take. So don't expect it to stay number one when Mockingjay Part 2 opens up. So be on the lookout for that one. In third place is The Martian, which dropped a mere 20.6% for an estimated $9.3 million in the face of direct competition from Spectre. This is, I think, is more of a either or. Like, they're really going to go see Martian or Spectre. This puts the sci-fi feature at $197 million domestically. And it uh, will be crossing the $200 million marks probably sometime in the middle of the week. And it's now director Ridley Scott's highest grossing domestic release of all time. Internationally, it added another $9.3 million, bringing its total to $458.5 million, making it Scott's highest grossing worldwide release as well, topping Gladiator already by $1.1 million. It lands in China later this month and Japan all the way till February. Wow. Can you imagine having to wait all the way till February? (laughs) I will. Yeah, probably me too. Is that when it lands in the dollar theater? I'm, you know, I'm probably one of the worst people to have a podcast that focuses on entertainment because I don't watch anything when it first comes out. You read about it though. You follow yeah, it. Do. You follow everything. Yeah, exactly. I look up a bunch of different um, uh, sources to to read up on what uh, you know people that actually spend money on first week movies think. Yeah, and 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 you get you're a good source for it. And then you eventually watch it and enjoy it. I so, just saw Ant Man. <laughs> really, <laughs> I liked it. Yeah, I did too. But what I'm saying is that came out in July or something. I don't know yeah. what it was. Uh, I remember seeing the um, the first time he shrinks uh, as part of a Disney attraction when we were in Disneyland. 
Back in July. Wow. So <laughs> and I don't think it had come out yet. By the way, I saw the Ant-Man uh, outfit. Paul Rudd is really small. Yeah. He's a really small, small guy. guy. You know what really impressed me the most about that movie? Mm-hmm. Michael Douglas at the beginning of the movie. The the young Michael Douglas at the beginning. Holy crap. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, that they is did amazing. They did really good. He, I, I, I was like, trying yeah. to see. I was like, is that CGI? I, how did they do that? I mean, him and another guy, but specifically Michael Douglas, because Michael Douglas, as of late, is looking pretty haggard. I mean, he's... he's yeah, after the cancer and everything, he's well looking worn. more and more like his dad. Exactly. For when I saw him at his current age, I'm like, wow, I met that guy. Oh, no. Oh, no, that was Kirk Douglas. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, continuing, also holding stronger Goosebumps and Bridge of Spies, both of which are in their fourth weekends, and each dropping less than 30% for $6.9 million and $6 million respectively. Kudos belonging to Nancy Myers, the intern, which... It's shocking to me because I have no clue how these how the movie uh, audiences will work. It's been in the top ten six out of its seven weeks in release. Its worldwide cume is totaled now at one hundred and eighty million dollars. Now gross more than one hundred and eight million dollars internationally. Dropping all the way to fifteen is Steve Jobs from Universal. Remember wow, we were talking about that yeah. one. The film was unable to find any traction after its limited release, and this weekend lost over two thousand theaters. Its weekend total from four hundred and twenty-one theaters was a mere eight hundred twenty-three thousand dollars. On the plus side, its cume is now up to sixteen point six, which does put it ahead of the twenty thirteen movie Jobs, starring Ashton Kutcher, before it. Adjusting for inflation, we're talking about uh, Trumbo with um, with uh, Walter White. Yeah, can't remember his name. I'm blanked <laughs> out. Well, Brian Cranston. Yeah, you're wow. looking at the wrong guy. Yeah, I'm staring at you. I'm looking at a blank slate. Yeah, like, hmm? I'm like I'm looking at a at a blank. I'm just it's a blank. It's a blank wall. Write whatever you'd like. There. He's not helping at all. <laughs> Trumbo. What do I have you here for? <laughs> With uh, Brian Cranston, opened in five theaters, brought in an estimated seventy-seven thousand dollars. So, kudos to them, and uh, that's a fifteen thousand dollars per screen average. That's per good. theater average. Per so, theater. Yeah. I, I really want to watch that movie. Uh, the movie's opening up this weekend, The 33, a biography drama history based on a real life event when a gold and copper mine collapses. It traps 33 miners underground for 69 days, starring Antonio Banderas. Also has Rodrigo Santoro of 300, Julia Binoche, and uh, James Brolin. How strange it is to see, to read reviews of the 33 that essentially say the same thing. The movie, movie's fatal flaw is its failure to personalize the story in any effective or resonant way. Of course, we find ourselves drawn to the movie due to the global event that it dramatizes, but we're surprised to see just how many critics have called it melodramatic. So, and I think the biggest thing is, why didn't they just do it Spanish language? I mean, how many movies have come out with subtitles that have been successful? And specifically this one, if it's based on a an event in Chile. Right. You know, right. The, not yeah. everybody talks like these. No, no, no. And it was, uh, I remember when it was happening, everybody was glued to the TV. Some people were, were clueless. And wondering what 33 children were doing down in a hole somewhere right. in Chile. Right. Because they were minors. They were minors. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, <laughs> but uh, the other, th- other than that aside, uh, it was very dramatic. And it was one of those things where, will they get rescued? Uh, are they still alive? There was a moment, I think, there nearing the end where their communication was very sporadic. And it's like, oh, my goodness, maybe they're already dead. Right. But we must continue on and find them whether they're alive or not. You know that if it happened now with the current political climate, that's exactly what it would be. Who let those children in the gold and <laughs> copper mines? I suggest we boycott all gold and copper from now on. <laughs> it doesn't say Christmas. I don't know. what What's the whole thing? <laughs> anyway. 
Uh, the other movie coming out, Love the Coopers, PG-13, when four generations of the Cooper clan come together for their annual Christmas Eve celebration, a series of unexpected visitors and unlikely events turn the night upside down, leading them all towards a surprising rediscovery of family bonds in the spirit of the holiday. Sounds very... Not too bad. No, no, no. Pretty too generic. Bad. Yeah. Starring Diane Keaton, John Goodman, Ed Helms, Alex Borstein, and Olivia Wilde, and so many. It has a lot of recognizable faces. Uh, with a few weeks to go before Thanksgiving, someone decided it might be a good idea to release a family Christmas movie with an A-list cast, but not a flicker of distinction from countless of other holiday films. Even the title fails to get you into the holiday spirit. Love the Coopers. You can count on two things. There's going to be a food fight, uh-huh. and it's going to be uproariously hilarious. Uh, I'm sorry, I couldn't <laughs> you can mask keep face. the disdain and <laughs> sarcasm. And Dan Keaton's going to go, huh! Yeah, at many points in the movie. Oh, my gosh. You know, if you're going to see Dan Keaton in the movie, she's going to yelp. Yeah. At some point. It's like and... Cuba Gooding crying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> or a Tom Cruise smiling yeah. with a million watt smile. I just, I don't know. Love the Coopers. Uh, let's do guesstimates on, on how much they'll make this weekend. The 33 will do 15 million. It'll be like the last weeks of the other movies we're talking about. Love the Coopers will do nine. If. You think? Yeah, I think it's going to be. I'm aiming high. I just don't see the. There's no. It there's doesn't very seem appealing. Appeal, it doesn't. It's like a straight to DVD, really. It looks it like, a, like a cable movie. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that's it. 15 and nine. Those are my guesses. I'd write a number on Anyway, we'll have to remember. Uh, in other news, uh, off of therap.com, the Walt Disney Company is being sued by a man who claims that the company ripped off his idea for the 2012 animated feature Wreck-It Ralph. In the suit, filed in a Texas federal court, Dyke Robinson claims that Wreck-It Ralph infringes on his copyright for the manuscript Digiland. Robinson claims that he submitted his manuscript to Disney in 2012. It was turned down. Quote, plaintiffs allege that defendant is engaged in actual copying of plaintiff's work or alternatively defendants created derivative works from plaintiff's works, thus infringing plaintiff's rights, including but not limited to plaintiff's registered copyright. A spokesman for Disney has not yet responded to the rap's request for comment. According to the suit, he's seeking the maximum statutory damages of $10 million, which I imagine Disney will settle out of court because they made way more money from Rick and Ralph than $10 million. I mean, if that's it. Yeah. If te- here, you know, and the guy will be ecstatic. Ten million dollars? When mm-hmm. are you going to make that in your lifetime in one trancaso? Yeah, it's like advertising. Yeah, and uh, of course he'll make uh, he'll get six out of that, and then after taxes it'll be about four or three, right? Yeah, about four. About four. So it's not bad. Four million dollars. He did a he did a good job with Digiland, and um, just like Wreck-It Ralph, revolves around video game characters who leave their games at night when their arcade closes. According to Box Office Mojo, the film had a worldwide gross of more than four hundred and seventy-one million dollars, wow. and a production budget of one hundred and sixty-four million dollars. Ten million is nothing. Nothing, man. I mean, that's catering. Here you go. Shit oh no, it. not not in the animated one, I guess, right? Well, there's got to be voices. Yeah. From Nerdist.com, it's been 15 years since Mystery Science Theater 3000 took the long way to Tipperary and aired its final episode, a riff on the late 60s Italian action movie Diabolic. 
The show about a guy and some robots sitting in space making fun of bad old movies has now been off the air longer than it was on the air, but it's never lost its ability to elicit laughter and a whole new generation of fans have discovered it via DVD and streaming. And it's this continued love for the show that series creator Joel Hodgson hopes will translate into donations to a new Kickstarter to hopefully make at least three brand new feature-length episodes of the show. He played castaway Joel Robinson on the show's first five-ish years in hoping to raise, he's hoping to raise $2 million for the project, which will not see he or his successor, Mike. Michael J. Nelson back in space. Uh, We're talking new hosts, new mad scientists, new episodes. In the statement as part of the press release, he said, I don't think there's ever been a show more dependent on its fans than Mystery Science Theater 3000. 25 years ago, we asked our fans to keep circulating the tapes and sharing MST3K with their friends and family to help the show find its audience. Now I'm hoping the fans will join me again to keep circulating the URL for the Kickstarter so that we can bring MST3K back to life for a new generation. At least $2 million is needed for three episodes. $5.5 million would be needed for a full new season, new full season. To contribute to the campaign and for updates, go to bringbackmst3k.com. The campaign began Tuesday, and when I checked, and this was, I think, Tuesday... They were already over $950,000. That's awesome. So that's, that's awesome. great. And it's going to go on for a full month. Any uh, excuse for new riffing is okay by us, by me as well. I'm a, uh, actually, if, and I hope I can find it. It's got to be there somewhere. I have my MST3K fan club card. And Wolfman, I think, beat me to it. And he had a earlier one. I was really upset. I remember you guys talking about it all the time. Yeah, I remember man. watching it with you, as a matter of fact. Beat me to Yeah, I think he beat me to Twitter, too. And I was pretty, I was on Twitter pretty early. From TheGuardian.com, Sony has announced that in March next year, it will stop producing Betamax video cassette tapes. 40 years after its introduction, 28 years after losing the war to VHS, assumed already dead by many, the final Betamax cassette will roll off the production line March 2016 as its maker concedes defeat to the march of time, 20, maybe 30 years late. The video cassette format was pioneered by Sony in the early 1970s and first released into homes embedded in a 19-inch TV in 1975. It, of course, went into a format war with VHS, produced by Japanese firm JVC. Betamax came first and initially offered superior video quality, but then when offered a license to use Betamax by Sony, JVC decided to develop its own open format to avoid Sony's domination on the market with a format it would control. VHS became more open and widely adopted format to the video cassette, which resulted in a large economy of scale, allowing VHS to beat Betamax on price. That greater adoption of lower costs saw the pornography industry to pick VHS as a format of choice for its home videos, which is largely considered the turning point that propelled VHS a victory. In 1988, Sony conceded victory to the rival format, producing its first VHS video cassette recorder. Sony's last Betamax recorder, believe it or not, was produced in 2002. Wow. That was way, way later. But the company will continue to produce tapes again until March 2016, which kind of puts a dent in the Small Hours podcast on video plans that I had. Uh, I was psyched, man. I already stocked up my area, my recorder, and everything. Your beta max recorder. And I'm tapes. just gonna, you know what? I'm just gonna ban it. I'm gonna move it on to Laserdisc. <laughs> Both video cassette tape formats were superseded by the video CD in 1993, a standard defined by JVC and uh, others. Video cassettes lingered until the introduction of the DVD in 1995. Movie studios adopted the format for its superior video quality and durability, initially leading DVD players only, not recorders. Only later in the mid-2000s did uh, home DVD video recorders start pushing VCRs out, which were shortly followed by hard drive-based personal video recorders. 
And uh, that's what seems to be the case now. Betamax may be dead, but VHS tapes are still in production. So long live the video cassette tape, the video CD, the DVD, and the Blu-ray. Don't forget about, of course, also in the 1990s, they just casually tossed out DVD. But there was also format war with DVD versus DivX. Not to be confused with DivX. I think it's a um, uh, something to do with uh, with files, video files. But this is DIVX. It was a rental scheme. Do you remember this one? Yes. Where the end consumer, you'd buy a 2 to $3 disc similar to DVD that you were buying at $15, $16, $19, but you could only view the disc for 48 hours after the first use. Each subsequent view would require a phone line connection to purchase another 2 to $3 rental period. Several Hollywood studios, Disney, shocking. Uh, 20th Century Fox and Paramount initially released their movies exclusively on the VX format. However, video rental services found the multi-use DVD more attractive. Video files who collected films rejected the idea of a pay-per-view disc. I was one of them. I was like, it doesn't make any sense. Right, if you're buying the disc, why should you have it to give it back or get pay for it every time? Ow, over and over again. Wait, why would you, uh, what? Want to pay for it over and over again. <laughs> uh, in the 2000s, uh, high-definition optical disc formats, Blu-ray disc versus HD DVD. Do you remember that one? HD DVD. Yeah, that was a successor to DVD as opposed to Blu-ray. Uh, several disc formats that were intended to improve on the performance of the DVD were developed, including Sony's Blu-ray. Toshiba had HD DVD as well as, as, well as HVD, FVD, and VMD. They don't roll off the tongue. The first HD DVD player was released released March 2006, followed quickly by a Blu-ray player in June 2006. In addition to the home video standalone players of each format, Sony's PlayStation 3 video game console offered a Blu-ray disc player and, and its games using the format as well, which I think contributed to uh, Blu-ray taking over because PS2 was phenomenally huge, so PS3 was going to be big, and it having a Blu-ray player in the game system... That, well, I don't have to buy a Blu-ray player now. Right. I'm getting both, which was initially one of the selling points for me with a PS2. It also had a DVD player. Uh, So there you go. That's what happened with that one. The um, Warner Brothers decided to abandon releasing films on HD DVD on January 2008. Shortly thereafter, uh, the rental services like Netflix, Best Buy, Walmart, everything said, you know what? We're giving up on uh, HD DVD and went to Blu-ray. So that ended the format, Warren. Blu-ray became victorious. And now we're looking at 4K video. 4K video. Which sure. I, don't, I don't know. I, I, the, what worries me the most about 4K video is the inability of American internet service providers or telecoms or cable companies or whatever to just go full out and make everything fiber optic. Because them they were given a lot of money sometime back and they didn't make the infrastructure any better, really. And now they're complaining about... You know, well, there's a lot of stress in our in, in our um, networks, etc. Now Comcast is talking about 300 gig data caps on uh, home internet service. Like, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Time Warner, I don't know if they have caps yet, but Comcast is starting to roll out 300 gig caps. So if you're doing net st- uh, Netflix or uh, gaming or all this, it'll add up very quickly. Their complaint is that there's a small amount of users that go way above and beyond that, like 75 terabytes. I mean, that's like crazy amounts of data. But the thing is, if all this money they've been making so far, they're not investing, I don't think, as much as they need to into the infrastructure because now that you're moving into high-quality streaming video, not just regular standard video or high-quality, now they're talking about streaming 4K video, which is going to be massive. I can't do it on my AT&T DSL. No, and as a matter <laughs> of fact, happen. it's hard to even get HD in some areas between the uh, deliveries 
mm-hmm. and the actual TV. You know, if you're not careful, you're watching, you have a massive TV and you're paying money out the kazoo to mm-hmm. have all this and not utilizing it. Right. I remember my nephew coming in and said, what are you watching the game on that channel for? To my <laughs> to my niece. Uh-huh. Uh, HD's over here. There you go. Watch it there. You know, because mm-hmm. you yes. have this 50 inch TV and High you're def paying. TV. Yeah, and, and you're not using it. You're not utilizing it. I remember when I first heard about uh, high-def uh, TV, and it was like, you'll be able to see people's faces and, like, the grass. I'm like, yeah, right. Uh, and you actually can. You can. It's, it's like, crazy. Ooh. Yeah, it's They're nuts. They're like, tootsie. Not too close. No, I, I saw this one picture that they took. I think it was, it was in Foxborough or something like that, and it was uh, taken from, I guess, in the middle of the stadium or something. You could literally zoom in. To a person's face. I was like, that is nuts. Yeah. It was crazy. It was like one of those satellite plane cameras or something. You know, I don't know what it was, but. I saw something impressive. recently talking about a zoom lens saying that no, there's no privacy anymore. And they're zooming in on these guys getting ready to play guitar and so forth up on a hill. And they start zooming out, zooming out down the hill. And then there's water and there's like a lake. And, and you're still zooming out, zooming out. They're on the other side of a lake. About, I have to say, about a quarter mile away, maybe more, and this. then they zoom back in, and it's like they're right next to him. Holy mackerel. No loss. It looked like limitless. Yeah, it was crazy. (laughs) Yeah, and and that's what's going on right now. And now they're talking about, hey, we can use Wi-Fi signals uh, to to map out a home, like in Batman Dark Knight. I'm like, really? (laughs) Now that everybody has Wi-Fi? Let's do uh, lead-lined houses from now on. (laughs) Let's start doing that. That's going to be my new... um, Frugal binder. That tinfoil, yeah, that tinfoil hat's not looking so bad anymore. That's right, man. It's going to be tinfoil underwear soon. <laughs> From blabbermouth.net, in a brand new interview with Classic Rock Magazine, Wasp frontman Blackie Lawless, who is a born-again Christian, was asked if his faith is entirely personal. He responded, absolutely. My faith centers on Jesus Christ and the Bible and nothing else. I don't want to know about anybody's opinion. If people want to talk about it, that's okay. But don't start interjecting what you think is your idea. If it cannot be substantiated by what's written in the Bible... I don't want to know about it. They also asked him about the, his decision to stop performing the Wasp classic song, Animal, F Like a Beast. He, <laughs> um, he said, at the time, I came, I came back to my faith. I said, you know, that's it. I can't stand up on a stage and say this. There's a verse in the Bible that says, let no corrupt speech come from your mouth. Between me and you and the fence post, that song was put into my life for a reason, for me to create the fervor that I did with the PMRC back in the day and make the band a household name, which it did, and then for me to announce to the world that I would never play the song again. (laughs) He added, I tell people now, the silence of it is deafening. It's worked like a charm. Their new album, Golgotha, was released on October 2nd via Austria's Napalm Records. That's a new Wasp album. Ozzy returned to San Antonio recently. Do you remember this? Just last week, November 5th. Didn't see it. Didn't hear it. He apologized for your Urinating on the Alamo Cenotaph in uh, 1982. He visited the historical monument with his son Jack as part of their new show for the History Channel, according to Kens5.com. Osborne was greeted at 4 p.m. by more than 100 fans and onlookers, some of whom reportedly waited more than seven hours to just catch a glimpse of the so-called Prince of Darkness. The singer was uh, accompanied by a group of more than a dozen, including camera crew, production assistants, and, of course, security. Prior to the Alamo visit, he met with Councilman Roberto Trevino, who said, Certainly, as a city, we feel very, very good about his efforts to come to our great city and apologize for the actions of a not-so-sober person. He allegedly urinated at the monument the night before his 1982 concert, the singer who was wearing a dress at the time, by the way, (laughs) because his wife Sharon had hidden all his clothes to stop him from going outside. (laughs) 
Yeah, apparently he thought he was relieving himself on a pile of rubble. He was arrested for public urination and intoxication and was uh, reportedly released on a $40 bond. He was subsequently banned from ever playing in San Antonio again. The ban was lifted 10 years later after Osborne donated $10,000 to the Daughters of the Republic of Texas, who maintain and manage the Alamo, the mission that was the site of a famous battle during the state's War of Independence in 1836. The site is considered sacred ground and a symbol of Texas pride. Ozzy admitted on the Pulse of Radio that during doing the History Channel show will help him fill in some blanks in his own knowledge of history. Anything past World War II, I'm clueless. He said, I'm kind of up on World War II because I was born a couple of years after. So I know quite a lot about World War II and Hitler and the Nazis and all that. But anything from before or after, I don't know anything about so we're going to Mount Rushmore. We're going to the abandoned silos where you guys, America, used to have their Minutemen missiles and all that. It's quite educational for me, actually. The Osborne's new show finds the father-son duo visiting famous places and offering what Ozzy described as history with an Osborne twang. That sounds interesting. That does. That does. I think it, it, it to me, it already, it's better than the um, crap crap that they were putting out <laughs> as, as, you know, Meet the Osborne's or whatever it was Which called. is now keeping up with the Kardashians. Yes. I mean, because there's a direct string, string from one to the other, yeah, and it, because having the cameras on them constantly just makes them do dumber and dumber and dumber things. Yeah, you know, just like what can I do to get a what, what would look good? Yeah, what would look good on TV? Uh huh. And that's what the Kardashians, I imagine, do because I don't watch that. Yeah, I don't. Uh, Somebody sent me a that. link of them doing a song. And uh, even uh, Auto Tune was like, "Sorry, can't help." <laughs> oh, gonna, wow! Gonna, <laughs> sorry, did my best. And, uh, and we're like, "Come on, Auto Tune, you can do better than that." No, man, I gave them my all. Couldn't do it. Couldn't help. Couldn't sorry. help. Uh, a couple shows coming up uh, into South Texas in the coming weeks. The Loudness just played uh, at the Corova on the sixth. Agnostic Front is going to be at Jack's Live Music Bar uh, on the fourteenth. That's tomorrow. Eleven twenty-eight. Havoc is going to be at the Corova. On December 11th, Deicide, also at the Corova. The Venom Inc. show was postponed and will now be January 27th at the Corova. So I'm going to be there. Uh, we'll see who, who else winds up going. Anybody listening to Small Hours, see me out there. Be sure to buy me a beer. I mean, I mean just say hi. Say hi. You're going to be out there. Say hi. Here's a beer. <laughs> That's it. Um, Def Leppard's coming all over South Texas, including uh, San Antonio on the 2nd, uh, Corpus Christi on the 5th. Laredo's... No, they're not going to come. Not Laredo. Right. I think it may even go to McAllen. I didn't get that date, though. Probably. Probably so they all, do the... All around Laredo. All around Laredo. It's like the weather. You know, you see clouds coming and they just skirt Laredo. Uh, I just uh, hope that the people who do the booking for our venue... Apparently nobody's doing booking for the venue. Hopefully they'll get somebody who does booking for the venue. Somebody's getting paid to, but I uh, do they that. don't. Yeah. Yeah. Can I apply? Can I do a part-time? It's like my gig here. I get paid, and I'm here once a week well, for get two paid. weeks. I got a bottle of water. That's true. That is payment, right? <laughs> also, uh, coming to the Concrete Street Amphitheater, we haven't gone there in a while, uh, in Corpus Christi, Lamb of God is going to be out there on uh, February 6th. Joe Satriani in March, uh, March 11th, at the Laurie Auditorium in San Antonio. So any other shows that come up, I'll be sure to add them. I may miss some because I don't know where to look for shows. I looked at Ticketmaster, so I'm sure there's some that aren't listed. Aren't listed, yeah. yeah. So the, those are just some of the shows that are going on. Uh, however, right now it's time for the off-ramp. Metal ahead. Please exit now to avoid getting caught in the awesome. That's right. If you came for entertainment news, your 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 part is done. Thank you very much for joining Appreciate us. It. Enjoy. I hope you enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And now... Yeah, now we're moving on. We've got some uh, brutal, epic, scornful metal since 1995. 
they they uh, formed in 1993. Hecate enthroned, and I may be mispronouncing Hecate, but that's how I'm going to pronounce it. Just okay. for for the uh, purposes of the show, Hecate enthroned emerged as one of the most intense bands to come out of the black death metal scene, dedicated to delivering their own brand of truly evil metal with little regard to politics or the trends of popular demand. In 1995, the now legendary demo, An Ode for a Haunted Wood, followed by uh, their first full-length album in 1997, The Slaughter of Innocence, A Requiem for the Mighty. In 1998, one year later, they released their second full-length album, the opus Dark Requiems, An Unsilent Massacre. I love the titles, man. This year also saw the re-releases of their first EP, Upon Promethean Shores, Unscripted Waters, repackaged and remastered with a reworking of the track, Dance Macabre, from the Slaughter of Innocence album, and a new track, the fearsome Luciferian Death Code, followed by their third full-length album in 1999, Kings of Chaos. 2001, after a little break, they released the six-track EP, Miasma, uh, a little different take on their sound on that one, and then 2004, they released Redimus. 2013, after a long hiatus, they signed with Italian label Crank Music Group, and they released Virulent Rapture. Prepare to be destroyed. Beware the triple goddess, the mother of death. You are forever beneath her gaze. They're uh, currently located in Liverpool. Wow. I just thought I'd go back a little... (laughs) 180 on that one. They're located in Liverpool in the UK. Uh, Nigel on guitars, Andy on guitars, Gareth on drums, keyboards has Pete, Joe on vocals, and this guy. This is this player from Black Metal Legends, Hikati Enthroned, sending hails to our friends at Small Hours Radio and our darkest regards to all our fans and listeners. Stay metal, and we hope to see you all on the road. That's right, it's Dylan on bass, that's Hecate Enthroned. Let's listen to one of the tracks right now on the Small Hours Podcast with Al Gavada. Enjoy.
there you go. Hecate Enthroned on the Small Hours Podcast. Brutal. And uh, you can check them out online at uh, hecateenthroned.com. That's H-E-C-A-T-E enthroned.com. And, of course, on facebook.com slash hecateenthroned. That was one of their tracks. The album, off of the album, Virulent Rapture. You can check that out for yourself. By the way, if you're a band that would like to be featured on the Small Hours Podcast, drop us a line, email at gmail.com. That's small hours email at gmail.com. You can catch our show uh, anytime at the small hours.podbean.com. I'm doing a short code now for uh, uh, on bit.ly. You know, uh-huh. you can get the short code. I can go, I think it's uh, bit.ly slash TSH podcast. That's the uh, direct link. So you got different uh, ways to contact us or at least to check out the show and to contact us, of course, whether it's uh, for a band, hard rock or metal. Or if you just want to drop us a line, small hours email at gmail.com. I want to thank my brother Joe for joining me once again, episode 11 on 11.11 as the Small Hours Podcast continues. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, I enjoy coming out here. Hopefully the rust will keep falling off and uh, I'll uh, contribute a little better, a little more as we go along. And just, you know, the hilarity will continue. You know what I think is going to help in your ability to... Um, Contributing more to the show? Alcohol. Me shutting up more. Because oh. <laughs> I talk, when I get going, man, it's like... I'm trying to like a double dutch. Yeah, so I'm going to give you a, either... Um, zapper. A zapper, a fly swatter, or a squirt gun. Or I'm going to tie a string to my nuts. <laughs> pull. Then, yeah, just pull. To, I'm like, and come to, ah, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, Joe. So well, like the uh, Alamo story, I was thinking... There was also a knucklehead from Laredo that was scratching on the wall that got arrested. That guy was from Laredo, right? That I forgot about was that. From Laredo. Really? Laredo Proud. We mm-hmm. should cover that scratching with a sticker that says Laredo Proud. <laughs> Golly, I can't believe that. And I remember hearing the story. I forgot that the guy was from Laredo. Thank Being you for... Undying love for his girlfriend. Who probably already broke up with him. Probably an ex-girlfriend by now. Uh, kids, let's, let's talk to the kids right now. Kids. Kids. Uh, and uh, by kids, we mean anybody under 40, I think, really. Mm-hmm. Or uh, let's say under 30. We'll say under 30. Um, whoever you're dating right now, chances are, the, the majority of chances, the large part, portion, you're not going to be with them. Yeah. Like for the rest of your life. It's not undying love. It's it's probably um, temporary. And we hate to break it to you. Hormones. Yeah, we hate to break it to you. And I understand you, know, you got some and you're like, oh, my God, I'll do anything for to get that again. I mean, for her... And uh, it's not true. So yeah. So don't tattoo your name on their body, on her, their name on your body. Yeah. T- go and tattoo your name on their body. So, <laughs> yeah. That's sorry. right. <laughs> Girls, don't let guys tattoo their names on your body. Yeah. Uh, you, if you could uh, avoid that, that'd be really nice. So all right. So there you go. Don't uh, go scratching your uh, your name on any um, sacred <laughs> institution or monument or you know. Don't go to Dealey Plaza and you know. Please, please don't. <laughs> Is that that's coming up next? Yeah. Uh, it's November twenty third. I'm really bad on my history. Me too. I mean, if I can't remember stuff about rock and metal, which is like my life for the past thirty plus years, you can't expect me to remember historical. Yeah, I can't remember dates. my phone number. So yeah, if you want to contact him, don't ask him on how to contact <laughs> him. But you can contact him. Contact him. Excuse me. Yeah. 
for a price. No, you can <laughs> contact them uh, via our email, smallhoursemail at gmail.com. Joe, you're out. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks for having me again. Uh, love your kids. Hug them, kiss them, buckle them up. All right. All right. Excellent. Well, I hope you enjoyed it. We had uh, fun putting it together. The song was brutal. And uh, we'll see how, how episode 12 turns out next weekend. Getting ready for Turkey Day and the holidays. Can't believe it. Oh. Cannot believe 2015 is coming to an end, but the Small Hours Podcast is just beginning and getting stronger. So thank you for being a part of it, and uh, we appreciate you downloading us or streaming us every single week to just hear it's just the nonsensory that we talk about, nonsensical stuff that we talk about. So hope you enjoyed this episode. You've been listening to Small Hours Podcast with Al Guevara. I'm Al Guevara. We'll catch you next time.